Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Listeners, hello and welcome to Homo Sapiens. We have got a brilliant episode for you this week. We are talking to Tom Allen. Uh, Tom is a really funny comedian who you probably know from doing his stand-up. He's on lots of panel shows, but he's also, he hosts Bake Off Extra Slice as well. He's written a book and it's all about, it's a memoir really about him growing up as a queer kid in Bromley. He is so funny and what is brilliant about him is that he tells really funny stories but within them are contained a sort of brilliantly observed gut punch that speaks to the very central existence of what it is to be an LGBTQ plus person. As far as I'm concerned, when I read it, that's what I really connected with. I'm so excited to speak to him. He's really good fun. He's really radically honest and that's one of the things that I love about him. So I'm so excited to chat to him. We want to hear what you think about uh, this chat, which will be coming up with Tom. So always please get in touch. Hello at Homo Sapiens Podcast or at Homo Sapiens on Instagram. If you want a t-shirt, review us on Apple Podcasts or go to everpress.com forward slash Homo Sapiens where you can buy a t-shirt or you can buy a sweatshirt. The perfect gift for any friend of yours, any pet, anything really. I think it's time that we have a listen to Tom now. The listeners at home might not realise Chris has a podcast microphone uh, yes. that you hold as though you are in the middle of a concert where you're singing your greatest hits. And it's <laughs> very endearing. And the way I sort of threw up the cable the, the cab- like that. Playing with the cable is one of my favourite things. The way people, yeah, flip up the cable, just move it around. Like Dusty Springfield would have done. Everyone wants to be more dusty, no? Well, except skirting boards. I mean, am I right? <laughs> always on you see always on i love it okay so what i want to say first is congratulations on the book because it is absolutely hysterical oh while being full of searingly brilliant observations that require someone to properly reflect on who and what they are and that is writing and it's beautiful and it's really hard to do that oh that is such a lovely lovely thing to say thank you i uh, i really enjoyed writing it it felt quite cathartic to put a lot of sort of incidents and things i remember from my teenage years or i had kept a diary so a lot of the time it was excerpts from that but putting it on the page for the book meant that it condensed it all and and was a good process for me of course when you write something you go well i'm writing this on my own this feels very personal but then you forget that at the end people are going to go and read it you go oh, well i hope what have I said? Have I said too much? But um, I've been very flattered that people seem to actually uh, relate to what I've been saying. So I feel very 
flattered that you say that. So there's kind of two versions of this book that could have been written. Uh And one would be the stuff about shame. Um, And that would be a really important and engaging book. But it wouldn't translate in the way that you've done because it's too heavy. Whereas actually what you managed to do is tell a fucking hysterical story about (laughs) going to see an old lady for tea. But really what you're talking about is five different things to do with being an outsider and the queer experience and all of those things in a way that we can all relate to. For me, what was important was to not do a very linear narrative at times. Like I didn't Mm. want to write uh, a very, you know, when we get stories told about our experience, I think they're often quite simplistic as in somebody struggles with their sexuality, they experience a bit of homophobia and then they triumph over it by beating that person up back and proving themselves wrong or they do something flamboyant to to counter it or or they finally come out and then they they the, turns out the person they fancied all this time fancies them back and they have a wonderful relationship and I, i've always felt like well it's it's never been as simple as that to me and it's always been much more complex and much more yeah. meandering and, and and circuitous to to get to any any destination in that you know i think human beings we do peculiar things we do the unusual things like i was bullied at school and and beaten up and my response was to do a julie walters monologue which wasn't triumphant <laughs> at all like from Alan Bennett's Talking Heads. It wasn't triumphant. It was, it was, people were like, what? And when I was writing it down, the editor was like, but I think we need something that's like, and then I, and then I realized this and I was like, no, because it doesn't go like that. And similarly uh... with, with coming out, I didn't want it to seem like, and then I came out and everything was fine because actually I think it's, uh, I thought it would be disloyal to any, to a lot of people because I think it's a journey to about self-acceptance and 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 getting to a place where you feel happy with yourself and then maybe you have a relationship if you want one but it's often deemed as like and then you get in a relationship as soon as you come out and everything's fine and i sort of wanted to go no it's it's not always as simple as that no the whole thing's a mess it's a believe me from the from the front line oh i know right (laughs) but but did you um your chapter you know your chapter headings are like speaking and you know dressing and swimming and eating maybe is one as well yes and and I thought what you were going for there, which I thought was so lovely, was it permeate being different permeates everywhere. Exactly that. Mm. And and it what it was like as a small child, I knew I was different. And it wasn't that I was like, oh, I'm gay at the age of four, in the sense that I wasn't like, and I want to, I want to, I fancy that that other boy. Um, it wasn't that. It was a sense of something, I suppose, pr- more profound that I just knew I was different to the world around me, seemingly. Um, and that mm. did, yeah, exactly as you say, permeate everything. Like I had this posh voice, which my parents aren't posh. They're Londoners. My dad's a coach driver. My mum works worked in the army and navy, which is a department store, mm. not part of the military. <laughs> and and so people would be like, "Why do you talk like that, though? Why do you speak like that? Why do you... my school was a comprehensive school? They'd be like, "Why do you talk like that, though? I don't understand. Are you posh, though? Are you posh?" And I'm like, no, I'm not posh. I have to speak like this. And they're like, well, well, are you gay then? Are you gay? And I'm like, no, because I'd have to deny it because there was no way I could come out at that yes. time. Like, no, I'm not. No. Um, but I just, really, as an adult looking back, I was like, why am I always so tired? Why do, when people ask me that, my heart would always sink. And it'd be like, because it's this thing of other people going, but why? But why? I need an explanation from you on why you're like this. Like, I don't know why I'm like this. I don't know yes. why I've got eyebrows. I don't know. I'm just born like it. And just why do I have to explain myself to you? And we spend so much time explaining ourselves to other people. And actually, sometimes Mm. you just go, oh, shove off. As I'll assume this is a very polite daytime podcast. Um, I mean, we'll give it a go. For the grown-ups out there. You want to go, go fuck yourself. Why do I have to, why do I have to explain myself to you? I'm just Mm. who I am. Maybe I, maybe I talk like this today. Maybe I, 
Maybe I talk with a Russian accent tomorrow, but it's my choice. It's up to me, isn't it? Almost like difference radars spotting. Different, yeah. different, I different. Agree, Chris, I agree. It's sort of like, yeah. And I think it's a way of like controlling people as well of going, like, but why? I need to know yeah. for me. And it's like, they put it across in such a way as if they like, as though they're doing some investigative journalism, but they're not. They're just being assholes. And I, I, yeah. I never walk up to somebody and go, why are you wearing that jumper? <laughs> yes. I like it. I don't know. It's policing. It's self-policing, isn't oh, it? And yeah. it's really boring and you so 50% of your tiredness comes from being policed the other 50 is come comes from the anticipation of being policed you know and like yes. what's gonna happen next yes you know? yeah mm. and I think for, the reason I called the book no shame is because whilst there's been huge strides in representation and in in legislation huge changes which have been very positive but it didn't it doesn't mean that, that just flicks a switch because no. I'm 37 so I grew up under Thatcher, Section 28, and at a time when, you know, there, there wasn't there wasn't equality legislation, there wasn't equal age of You couldn't consent. teach it in school. And you, ha- you couldn't, like a teacher couldn't say to me, if I came out, they couldn't go, you know what, you're going to be fine. That's absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. You're a valid, important person. They'd have to be like, well, I don't know what they'd have to say, to be honest, but if they, they'd be terrified of yeah. losing their job, frankly. Yeah, and because you had a lovely teacher who said, I'm not allowed to tell you this, didn't they? Yeah. Did they say, I'm not allowed yeah. to tell you this, had a wonderful there are gay people... Yeah, a wonderful teacher who told us, told us that Section 28 existed. Because as a child, you don't know what the legalese of your school is. So No. Like I, there was, in my staff room at school, there was a bet, like a wager on whether I was gay or not. Oh. And it, it's just like, that's so unkind to a child. Yeah, you know, to like, a child. Go and ask them if they're all right. Don't. Yeah, you know. yeah. And I always hate that thing of like, well, we always knew you were gay. We knew you were gay before you did. And all that. And mm. I'm like... It just sort of makes the, the experience of coming out, I think, is so fraught with emotions that are so difficult to explain. It's like the idea of straight people like using it as a means of sort of humiliation. Again, I just think is really unkind. But I've gone on a right high horse here, haven't I? And I've come on your nice, lighthearted podcast as a comedian. I'm like, and another thing I'm angry about. <laughs> should have just phoned up LBC, shouldn't I? Indignant of Bromley. Indignant, very indignant. I've got this bottle of champagne I'm going to open in a moment to loosen up. Then I'll get... Then you'll. Then I've got some opinions. We need to open it. Come on, let's open it. Should we do I'm, it now? I'm on my. Yeah, let's do it. Um, Celebration. I'm going to try and do it while I'm holding my microphone. Well, thank you. This is my um, last thing of my release day. I'm d- released not from prison, but from uh, for the day. <laughs> um, and um, Go on, let's pretend you're in prison. Oh, let's. Um, I. You know. Can I? Yes. Can I describe the room you're in? Yes, if you like. Tom Allen beautifully spoken man who um in his wonderful book talks about um while you're doing that i'm going to open my bottle okay liking glamorous things that perhaps it was unexpected for him as a child to like he i i dial into this zoom and he is in a georgian paneled room in a full suit and tie and it is nothing short of everything i could ever have hoped for look i'm on brand okay i'm always on brand (laughs) It's amazing. And as I, was I feel aw- so underdressed. Yes, and you should. But my <laughs> dad said to me, clothing is not about how you look, it's about how you feel. And I thought that was that's good advice. And so I like that. I like to sometimes wear a suit because it makes me feel nice and I feel all proper then. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so and now he's gonna and now he's got a bottle of champagne that he's gonna open because this is the sort of life that Tom Allen leads. I actually don't. Oh, there we go. He's popped the cork. There we go. This is incredible. Pop the cork and then the other one. Didn't stick a straw in it straight away, so that's a plus, listeners. So, cheers. Cheers. This is the only drink I've had to celebrate the uh, 
my, my the release of my book. And I'm very glad to be sharing it with you, Chris. Oh, and vice versa. You mentioned something in the book about going on a cruise. And you went on a gay cruise, which I love and I want to talk about further. But yeah. you were talking about how gay men call each other she. Oh, I mentioned that, yeah. And I just want to talk to another gay person about that because I think it's a really, really hot topic because a a lot of people listening will say that actually gay men calling each other she is quite misogynistic and it's, you know... But for me personally, the idea of calling other men she was a very specific safe haven of being allowed to show my femininity and theirs in a safe place because it was very attacked when I did it in other spaces yeah I I think it's I think I'm totally aware of how you know how people can be annoyed about it and in the book it's not actually me saying it just so you know listeners it totally is he's lying no it's (laughs) it's not some people I overhear Um, he overhears no you were overhearing a group of gay people going onto a cruise and they they're calling each other she and I was like oh but what why do you think people find it annoying well I think perhaps for what you just described like that it's kind of it's sort of seen as why I, I don't know. Well, I, I wouldn't like to say. I suppose I don't. I don't exactly. I wouldn't like to speak for somebody else. But um, <laughs> I suppose it, is it kind of it could be. Construed. Oh, for God's sake! Have a gulp of champagne. For God's sake! <laughs> but I would agree with you that it's kind of about playfulness. And for me, camp. I'm very interested in camp as a word and oh. as a as a thing. I think it's about playing with the world around you, and making it more bearable and making it lighter yeah. and taking the constraints of heteronormativity mm. in all their forms and playing with them and bending them and having fun with them in a way that makes it acceptable to be different. Because if it's playful, then people can go, oh, well, we're just having a laugh. You know, but, but actually, fundamentally, I think humour and lightness has been a hugely important part of, of a lot of, of our history, I think, in my opinion. Um, yes. Uh, and that's not to disregard that, like I say, of course, there are times when things have to move on and we must acknowledge other people's, if, if anybody would be hurt or, for example, hurt by it or uh, upset by it. But I think that humour has been a very important tool for people who feel outsiders because it, it, it allows them to process the world and to present themselves to a world that finds them unacceptable and make themselves seem more acceptable. I completely agree. And I think what, what mystifies me is the concept that these two things live side by side. One is camp is dismissed as frivolous, disposable, yes. useless, but is dealt with as if it's horrendously threatening. It's like, yeah. if I'm so frivolous, <laughs> why do you give a fuck? You know? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, because it is threatening. Isn't it? I don't know what it's threatening to. Is it, is it, I mean, I know this is like an age old question, but is it, is, I sometimes wonder, is it actually envy in that actually once you're on the outside and you're able to, interpret the world in a playful fun way actually if you're stuck on the inside actually you're going well that's not fair i've got to do all this i've got to put on this boring performance and they can just do what they like well that's not fair i think i'm always trying to work out why the world is so fucking strange and why people have such an issue with trans rights for example all these things it's like i think i think it all comes back to safety And I think people want to feel safe. And I think there's something in camp that makes people feel unsafe. This is a theory, like who, who knows, but I think that it's about, you know, this very old and silly idea, but it once upon a time, it was about survival was that men do the heavy lifting. Women do the caring and camp is 
about men crossing those boundaries or women crossing those boundaries. Mm -hmm. And that upsets on a deep survival level the status quo and therefore must be squashed. That's my only assessment. I mean, I suppose, I mean, that, well, I guess that would add up, I suppose. But yes, and I suppose if you've got somebody who's going, I don't treat, yeah, the world seriously, then that is... Mm threatening isn't it or that is 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 yeah is is kind of like you say frightening if um... well it's it means food might not be on the table if you take it to the most disastrous end and i think that's why even in covid the arts are not accounted for because they're considered interesting you know yeah maybe you know maybe but how camp is covid (laughs) (laughs) what i also find interesting is why are we as queer people Mm. not to generalize but drawn to camp. So you said a wonderful yeah. thing. Go on. You said a wonderful thing, which I think is an extension <laughs> of camp, which, yeah, go on. Go on. What was it? I'm sure it was wonderful. Well, you were talking about living with your parents and yeah. how they were going to get a new kitchen yeah. and they insisted on getting like some old one from B&Q and having that put in. Not old one, but, you know, it was X on display. sale. Ex-display. Ex-display. <laughs> and you were talking about how your dad would bring the Pyrex dish out of the oven straight to the table. Mm-hmm. Um instead of putting it on you you were like i've bought some serving crockery what's all that about mm-hmm. and it, i thought it was incredibly funny because i could really relate <laughs> because i think there is something in in queerness and maybe it's gay maleness i don't know about what the question all the time for some reason is where's the glamour well yes you know why isn't this why are we making this glamorous well, I, again, I, I, not to come back to my book all the time, but I thought about it when I was writing the book. That's why I say of, you know, like wanting to make everything exquisite and wanting to make everything perfect. Um, and again, I think it's deemed as, I guess, as we're saying, flippant, frivolous um, by a lot of mainstream society to kind of go, why do we spend all, why are you spending all day preparing a plate of crudities when you could be in... <laughs> In, you know, you could be doing something practical. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, but I would say, well, the crudités are a very important part of the meal. Um, because they're the, our first, you know, that's the most, that's the one That's the one that we have that was sober. Um, and, uh, and so, <laughs> so, you know, things like that. And kind of, yeah, I remember at school and stuff, that kind of sense of like, don't show off, don't make a fuss, don't stick out. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Uh, mm. and, and actually, again, it feels a bit like a protest to go, no, I want things to be lovely. Why can't they be lovely? And why, why isn't there time to make the dessert look exquisite uh, for people and be kind to people and, in that way and be generous to people and make a fuss of them and make a fuss mm. of today and decorate 
everything. And I, I you know, and I enjoy the this, this sort of fun of playing with how competitive that can become. <laughs> but um, yes. the at the same time, I think it's uh, it's it's a very drab world, isn't it? That is that is totally without that exquisiteness. And I, I love that mm. Royal Vauxhall Tavern shared a beautiful post as part of the commemorations of World AIDS Day. A lovely story from um, uh, somebody who, growing up, they'd had um, gay men as lodgers in, in their mum's house and mm. how these gay men who'd called themselves their very godfathers um, had always been, always known a little something about everything and always delighted in making everything exquisite and 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 knew and had opinions and really cherished this young person's opinions and and made them develop their own opinions and loved whatever they said whether they agreed with them or not and i just thought yes that's the beauty of all the particularly the the older generation of 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 queer people i think many of whom were sadly lost as part of of of, of the aids pandemic um but i think who really knew about what that that those experiences because they had they'd grown up during a time when you had to channel your energy into the arts or to learning about things and loving things uh, at a time when it was so difficult to be openly e- expressing your sexuality uh, and, mm. and 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 I love that cherishing of every detail and every we must go to the opera you know do you know what I mean Chris the people have you mm. met people like that when I was growing up um my dad uh, had a, we had a family friend Andy and uh he was a dancer in the West End and he's my dad's friend. He grew up on the same street as my dad. And he's somebody, the first person I met, who was like, and what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And we're going to go here. And yes. Let's talk about Caravaggio. And let's talk about this wonderful aperitif I once had on in Venice. And then when I went to Crete, I had this experience. And I'd never seen anybody like it. Because, mm. you know, so much of heteronormative society is about basically having omelettes. And... <laughs> um, <laughs> What are you going to have for tea? <laughs> and that's great too. And I love celebrating that. And I love, I just think, I don't know. There's such a, people are so quick to, to slam any kind of like celebration of life. And you go, none of us are here for a long time. We're here for a good time. Why shouldn't we be allowed to live exuberantly? Um, and the, sh- the shame thing I write about is, is, is sort of is, is within that, of that like, why have I got to be ashamed to just delight in some lovely wallpaper? Mm. Well, I think, I think that if you are very easily assimilated into the environment in which you are born, you don't have to look that far beyond the end of your nose to get everything you need. Yes, whether that be true. sustenance or love or nutrition or you know like emotional stuff as well as physical stuff, I suppose. Mm. Whereas if you if you plop onto planet Earth and you start reading the room and uh, working out how things work, and you're like. Oh, okay. I do not, <laughs> not um, uh, yeah. Okay, I'm different. You end up, you. you I feel like it, it visually. I see it in my head as like a torchlight isn't just four feet away from you; it's a hundred foot away from you because you have to go and look for all these. Yes, things. yes, yeah. And that opens your eyes, and also you're hyper aware. It's. I have this theory why queer people like nice lighting. I put the big light on just so you can see. Well, yes, but you know, I, yeah. I was upset. Only for that, I will be dimming again. I've got a dimmer switch. Don't worry, everybody. Good. But I was thinking that queer people like nice lighting. I'm massively generalizing. But it's because you are actually really hyper aware of your surroundings because you have felt that threat Ooh. from a very young age. Yes. Well, I hadn't thought of it like that. I like that. 
Um, I, I dare say very sensitive. Very sensitive. That's why we're deemed often as sensitive, sensitive children. Lily livered lefty, as my mm. friend's mother. <laughs> <laughs> Lily liver. Yeah, I, I get. No, I think that's true, and I think that uh, we're constantly searching for our to, to see ourselves reflected. I suppose, and even and it's harder to find. It's harder to find, and I think even in adulthood, and I found in early adulthood, finding people to relate to on that level, and finding people to connect with on a on on a fancying level because you spend so much or i spent so much of my early life in my teenage years say fancying people who i knew would never fancy me back Mm. and um and so that becomes a thing that you just sort of you become used to that which and it sounds so mawkish doesn't it and so kind of self self-indulgent but i think it is true and because it's a numbers game straight people for example seem to be able to just walk into any pub anywhere and maybe chat to somebody else and flirt with somebody else or, you know, not all, or not, not all, but I, you know what I mean? It's a little bit more straightforward. Um, mm, and you might straightforward. straight, do you know what I mean? Straight. Forward. Got it. Right. Always on the <laughs> workplace. Whereas, you know, we have to go a bit further afield and, you know, like think of like going to a gay bar, you'd have to travel, you have to go there. If you didn't know any other gay people, you have to go on your own. You have to beg a straight friend to come with you and then they get bored and leave. I'm saying you, I yeah. mean me. And, um, <laughs> Uh, no, I spent so much time in gay bars when I was growing up, pretending I was with people to people in the gay bar. I'd be like, "Oh, my friends are over there," but they weren't. They'd gone because oh. they'd come for like a drink and be like, "This is shit." Where did you grow up, Chris? In London, so oh. in um, Wimbledon, somewhere s- like Wimbledon. You fucking guessed it. Did I really? Yeah. <laughs> I just guessed that. I love that you guessed that. I just now I can I can tell. You can smell I mean- it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I grew up in Southfields next to Wimbledon. Oh, yeah. So, okay. yeah, it was, you know, not many gay bars, put it that way, people. Where would you have to go? Would you have to go Would you have to go into your London town? Yeah, I'd go up to Soho. And that was great fun. Loved it, you know. Yeah. I liked it, but I liked, do you know where I was my favourite? Was Popstars. Popstars was great because it had an indie room and it yeah, just felt a something bit... something for everybody. It's like a gay youth club. Yeah. What was your floor? Uh, indie floor on the top. That was the indie floor. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Where would you go? Uh, no, indie, well, indie floor was ground floor, wasn't it? So pop stars, everybody was a gay night at the Astoria on Tottenham mm. Court Road in London. No, it wasn't. It was at oh. King in King's Cross. Oh, oh That's, yeah. Did this one I, I went was to. Maybe you're younger than me. Three sheets to the wind by the time I know I'm older than you. Are you? How old are you, Chris? 39. Oh, only two years. But yeah, it was nice. I liked that place because it was... It felt, I suppose, what was interesting about those clubs, and I wonder if people feel that you have better um, facilities for this now, whether that be online or in physical spaces, it wore, it pop stars, that place, mm. felt young. And actually, often yeah. when you went to a gay club, when you were coming out, you know, when we were younger, yeah. um, for like our first forays, it actually felt quite old. Everyone was quite old. And then that's funny you say that. I actually had the opposite experience. Whenever oh, I went really? somewhere, everybody looked really young, and I was like either losing my hair or no, probably losing my hair around about that time. Um, and so felt and always felt older anyway. Um, mm. So I always kind of liked that there was a bit of a mixture of age groups there because everywhere I went, everybody seemed to be very twinky, um, and that was the only oh, okay. that was the only t- the the kind of. Yeah, that that was seemed to be the most popular. That was the popular gang, and I never felt like I was part of that. But I think it depends what floor you went to. 
<laughs> yes. Well, no, I'm thinking about when I had to go. It sounds like, it sounds like are you being served that there were different floors? Like <laughs> Grace Brothers. Yes. Um, I was always in the haberdashery. But <laughs> <laughs> I love that you take that reference. It's just, I love it. Now, okay. Tom, can you yes, define, because it's something we talk, you talk about a lot in your book, and it's something we talk about a lot on this podcast, but mm. I think it's important to have a refresher. Yes, sir. Can you define shame for us? Because I think it is very, very universal experience. It is not a gay thing or a Abs- queer thing. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I, um, I, I define it as um, being in the back of the car as a child and the football results being read out on the radio. And on BBC Radio, they would always be in this rhythm, which was Blackburn Rovers, two, Ipswich Town, one. It was always kind of I made up like I could never know any of the names of the teams, but like Vaudeville, Volavance, eighteen, <laughs> <laughs> Manchester United, nil. Now um, that is a real team. That is that's just a, so everybody knows. That is a real. Both of those were real teams, and that was a real score. Um, <laughs> and they'd always go up at the top. And anyway, I would be in the back of the car, getting feeling a bit sick, but also like probably like, and then and wanting to tell some very high energy story about like yes. and then i really like the way that when we went round to <laughs> sally and roger's house and sally had lovely red nails and i love sally's nails and and my dad would be trying to listen to the football results and would just go shh and he didn't know he was doing it but you know it's just that yes. feeling of just it happens in any context with any child especially a precocious one like myself that sometimes you probably do need to tell them to shut up but mm. there was just that feeling of like i'm gonna say a thing shh, don't. and it's the same as like if you've ever been told don't be silly and when you mm. just in those moments when you're like really cutting loose and just feeling sort of full of yourself uh, in a nice way, and somebody goes, "No, stop it!" and you go, "Oh, you're right. What was I thinking?" And it's that sort of feeling. And I describe it as like a feeling of cold water being poured down your spine. And mm. so I think everybody's probably experienced that, and uh, in some in some capacity, that can be these moments, like when you interrupt someone in the car, and you interrupt the football score in the car, and you feel like you know you feel stupid really but what can happen if you're um different in any way and that can be lgbtq plus it can be many other different ways yes chris that can be with you all the time yeah and and because you feel different and you don't know how to articulate it and and the repercussions of that are massive um aren't they well i yeah i think exactly that is that you you don't know how to articulate it or you're not allowed to articulate it and so when you think, like, for a lot of straight people, they play kiss chase in the playground or they have their first crushes and they're able to talk to their friends about it or, mm. or you know, and they kiss kiss somebody they fancy or they don't get to kiss them, but they get to talk about it. They kiss somebody else uh, and all those kind of, And people are like, oh, they've got their first partner and, and their families know exactly how that feels because they have the same experience. And, and so there's, there's that sort of reflection, that validation that comes from that. But I felt I wasn't able to talk about any of that because I felt so ashamed about it. And I was so terrified of of what the repercussions would be. And I didn't know if they would be positive or not. You know, when so much of the mm. media was like about about people getting beaten up or, you know, people being shamed in the media for just coming out. So I felt I couldn't come out. I couldn't even talk about it. I had to act, actively bury it and push it down. And I think when you're doing that, that does leave a, a scar in your psyche that is going, you're, you know, you your, what you are is not okay, push it away. And that energy is exhausting. And, and I think, so we, yes. you know, often go through those kind of trials of adolescence in our early and, well, any point in our adulthood, because we haven't had that that time in our in our formative years 
It, a lot of people are starting to talk about it and it's quite an abstract concept, which, yeah. so, you know, like Lily Allen did her album No Shame and she is someone who, mm. very like you, is able to go and bullseye what the thing is. And she's been thing. doing that. It's a family it's thing. A fa- <laughs> exactly. I've never met her. I'm not related to her. Either. But she's brilliant at that and always was with her music. Like, you know, she wrote that song, The Fear, however many yeah, years ago, yeah, which is yeah. all about about FOMO, basically. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. how, how and you know, curdling that is to the soul, I suppose. Oh, what a lovely expression. Mm, and, and, you know, so, but people have started to talk about it more. And I think what's interesting is it's like, so if I tried to broach the concept of shame with some grown-ups, people who are a generation above us. And you're broaching I, the subject with them. I think if you're bringing a brooch to the conversation, already... <laughs> But I feel that they would all roll their eyes and just be like, oh, for God's sake, in our days, we just got on with it. I think that's just the tradition of generation to generation in any context, Mm. isn't it? Of going, well, in our day, we just got on with it. But of course, you know, I'm sure the generation before that were going, well, you don't know what it was like to grow up in a workhouse. Um, Mm. I mean, it wasn't quite as as close as that. But, um, you know, I think that uh, Mm. maybe, but maybe. uh, But at the same time, well, I, I, I think what's wonderful is we seem to constantly evolve in how we talk about things and how open we can be about things. And I think it's only a good thing, isn't it? To, to know, to, to find new ways of articulating the human experience. And I think we should see it as an invitation to, to compassion and to understanding one another. And uh, that's lovely. That, and that's only a good thing because empathy breeds empathy, doesn't it? The more we understand ourselves, the more we understand the people around us, the more we understand the people not who are not around us, but who we are, who we know through other means on the television or whatever. You know, like it's it's only a good thing. Yeah, but I, and I also think you make a really important point in the book that is the exit sign, exit door for that shame is not coming out. That it's it sticks around, and that's going to be ingrained in you forever. And you have to remember to navigate it. Yeah, it's a journey, isn't it? Um, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's that's been my experience anyway. Um, and I know, you know, a lot of people have found it much easier than I have to find partners and and sort of feel kind of much more settled and, and validated in that way. But I, I've not found that particularly easy. Um, but then I do talk quite a lot. So maybe they were maybe there were people trying to tell me they like me, but I unfortunately talked over them. But, um... <laughs> I, I found that um, which would probably be the reason I've ended up doing a podcast is. Yes, I had to observe growing up mm. that, in hindsight, that I used talking oh. as my medicine. For sure. So I would talk all the time in school because I actually felt weirdly wretched inside and I didn't know why. Oh, yeah. And that feeling of feeling weirdly wretched, I really relate to. That mm. I didn't feel... And people are like, what are you worried about? Why don't you like yourself? Why don't you like yourself? <laughs> You've done really well in your GCSEs. And I'm like, you don't understand. I don't know where it comes from, but I do not like myself. So if I keep busy with doing well in my GCSEs, then it means Mm. I can uh, repress those thoughts that are going, you're a terrible person. You. Yeah. Um, And it's hard to articulate that as well. Um, And people are like, but why? But why? Um, And that's lovely because they're being nice. But... And I don't mean to shun that support. No, but I I think it's about different f- strokes for different folks, you know. And like, so, you know, Alan Cumming, who I do this podcast with, who is so... Alan and I are made from different, a different cloth, which I... Is why he is a 
such an inspiring person to me because I was sort of, you know, Alan, I was sitting there and I was worried and I was thinking, and he's like, oh, for fuck's sake, get on with it. And you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, yes, I good. forgot that was an option. <laughs> well, that is good too. And I think I have a, propen- I have a natural propensity for self-reflection and sometimes mm. that is important and that has been useful, obviously, in, in, in writing a book perhaps. But I, yeah, actually sometimes role models who go, come on, we're not here for a long time, we're here for a good time. Let's mm. do things. Uh, they're very important. Listeners, that was part one of our chat with Tom Allen. God, he's funny, isn't he? He just manages to turn any kind of story into the funniest, funniest thing. Look out for part two, which will be coming up next in your feed. Have a listen to the continuation of our chat with Tom. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER. Powered by Spirit Studios.